0: Hello, wherever you are, and whenever you're listening, whether you consider Fifth your home church or whether you found this worship service another way, would you join me in prayer? Creator God, we come to you today asking you to speak. We are weary, we are anxious, we are bored, we are disoriented. We are frustrated, and we need a word of grace from you. Teach us to trust you in new ways, send your Spirit upon us, and allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts this day and all days. Amen. This is now the sixth Sunday of Lent and the start of Holy Week, where we begin to journey toward the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. If you attended the Ash Wednesday service at fifth, you'll remember the words spoken to you when the ashes were imposed. Remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. Little did most of us know on Ash Wednesday that very soon the whole world would be reminded of our frailty, how fragile our bodies are, How fragile our institutions and societies are. How close we all are, at any moment really, to returning to the dust. This is the real state of our world as we enter Holy Week. Just as Jesus was made incarnate to a particular people at a particular time, we believe that God still comes to our particularity, That the Holy Spirit speaks to us exactly where and who we are. That the Word of God has something to say to our context right here, right now. If that weren't true, we wouldn't write new sermons every week or pray new prayers. But we believe that the promises of God that were true yesterday are still true today. And that the Word of God will not return void. In his book, Rejoicing in Lament, a theologian and Western Seminary professor Todd Billings writes this, When worship expresses only victory, it can unintentionally suggest that the broken and the lonely and the hurting have no place here. The message can be, if you want to fit in, first get your emotions in order so that you can be positive and then go to worship. Worship. But the Psalms help show us that bottling up or trying to fix those emotions ourselves is not the right way. I believe it's not an accident that God led our church to spend the season of Lent in the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, which contains the full spectrum of human emotions, from rejoicing and gratitude to despair And terror to rage and vengeance. The Psalms are a reminder to us that we are allowed to bring our full selves to God no matter how much contradiction clashes within us, no matter how much confusion or ambivalence or yearning or fear we hold. And here's why God is not surprised, and God can handle it. God is not surprised by what you're feeling and thinking. And God is big enough to absorb whatever you're tossing out. God is also not surprised by the state of the world. We may feel very caught off guard right now, but God isn't caught off guard. We are nearing the end of this sermon series called Christ With Us, where we've engaged the Psalms to explore the ways that Christ meets us in every situation, in every emotion. Christ meets us in every circumstance because he is fully God, always present, all-powerful, promising to be with us always, even to the end of the world, by his Spirit. And Christ meets us with solidarity in every circumstance because he is fully human, and he understands what it's like to live on this earth as a person who is susceptible to all the hardship the world can bring. Today you heard Psalm 31, in which King David cried out to God to shelter him from his enemies who were pursuing him. The backdrop of this psalm is that his own son, Absalom, wanted to kill his father David, in order to usurp the throne in Jerusalem, you can read more about that story in the book of Second Samuel if you'd like. Here's what David says to God. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. David, called a man after God's own heart, was hunted at various times throughout his whole life. Some in our world know what it's like to be hunted too, and maybe you are one of those people. The organization Open Doors USA reported that in 2018, one in nine Christians worldwide were persecuted for their faith, including over 4,000 people who were martyred. Verse 21 of this psalm says, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. The United Nations reported that in 2018, 70.8 million people were forcibly displaced from their homes due to persecution, conflict, violence, or human rights violations. There are many in our world who know what it's like to be in a city under siege. And those people aren't just out there. There are members of our church who know what it's like to be displaced from their homes or persecuted. It's the story of every refugee that we receive— and there are others who've experienced the terror of their lives being threatened, certainly in our wider community and, and very likely in our church. We know, for example, from the CDC, that one in every four women and one in every seven men will experience domestic partner violence at some point in their lives. One in three women and one in six men will experience sexual violence. If you're a parent... You possibly know too well the prevalence of bullying and the toll it can take on a child's mental health. There are countless ways that we experience tangible and intangible threats every day in our world. And of course, this aggressive new virus merely adds to the list. It's okay to be honest about these things. The Bible certainly is. In his book, Dark Night of the Soul... St. John of the Cross, a 16th-century priest and mystic, says this, For the truth is that the feelings we receive from our devotional life are the least of its benefits. The invisible and unfelt grace of God is much greater, and it is beyond our comprehension. What he means is this. When we read our Bibles or when we pray, or when we worship, we may feel God's goodness and presence, but we also might not. We might merely feel the crushing weight of the world. But there is a turn in this psalm. After expressing fear and even panic in the first part of the psalm, in verse 14, David says, But I trust in you, Lord. In God's story for humanity, there is always a but. David's lament is offered in light of what David knows about God. He frames his distress with the knowledge that God is a refuge. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, he says, even though he's experiencing only bad things. You heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help, he prays, even though he's still waiting for that help. He expresses in this psalm that he is experiencing terror, affliction, and entrapment. But David cries out to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, asking God to remember God's covenant promise, declaring what he knows to be true, even if he doesn't feel it at all. David doesn't deny what he feels, but he views what he feels through the lens of what he believes, which is that God will not forget him. The great Anglican theologian N.T. Wright said in a recent Time magazine piece, the point of lament woven thus into the fabric of the biblical tradition Is not just that it's an outlet for our frustration, sorrow, loneliness, and sheer inability to understand what's happening or why. The mystery of the biblical story is that God also laments. Today is Palm Sunday, also known as Passion Sunday. We remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, cheered on by a crowd who implored him, Hosanna, which means save us, only to be betrayed days later, given over to the crowds whose cries were no longer asking Jesus to save them, but were imploring Pontius Pilate to crucify him. I wonder what it felt like for Jesus to hear Hosanna on this day, knowing that crucify him was to come. And I wonder what it felt like for Jesus to approach the horror of the cross, knowing that victory was to come. There is no better comforter, there is no better ally, and there is no better refuge in distress than Jesus who understands very tangibly what it's like for his life to be pursued and threatened. Jesus, as a child, fled for his life with his family to Egypt because King Herod was slaughtering every baby boy and toddler in the region, hoping to target Jesus. And in Matthew 12, after healing a man on the Sabbath, Jesus angered the Pharisees so much that they plotted how they might kill Jesus. And of course we know that eventually his critics succeeded when Jesus was betrayed to his death by one of his closest friends, Judas, and betrayed by yet another friend, Peter, who three times denied even knowing him. And Jesus was tempted, too, most notably by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, but very likely at other times, too, maybe even daily as we are. Perhaps more often than we even realize, we are tempted to put our own interests above the well-being of others, or tempted to put our trust in the idols of money or status or power. But the book of Hebrews assures us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Christ is with us in our hardship and has truer empathy than any of us could ever have felt for each other because he fully understands the human experience. Does this line in our psalm today sound familiar? Into your hands I commit my spirit. The Gospel of Luke records these as Jesus' final words on the cross before breathing his last breath. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Some have speculated that Jesus didn't merely quote that line from the psalm, but actually recited the entirety of Psalm 31 upon the cross, which isn't unlikely given that ancient Jews memorized huge amounts of scripture. So imagine that, would you? That perhaps Jesus on the cross, in earshot of his executors and his friends, For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Jesus, brutally dying a humiliating public death at the hands of his enemies, knowing there was no physical way out, still placed himself under the refuge of the Father, full of anguish, and yet finding serenity in an act of trust, that he was, even in agony and despair, safe in the hands of God. We, too, are safe in the hands of God. That doesn't mean that we won't face trouble. It doesn't even mean that we won't succumb to those troubles, If that were true, then no one would be dying of COVID-19 right now, or of cancer, or car accidents, or drug overdoses. In this world, we will have trouble. But those troubles do not get the last word. If you've worshipped at 5th before, you've probably heard John conclude a service with these words, We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the last word. St. Augustine, in writing on the book of Psalms, says this, The resurrection of my Lord being known, and my own being promised me, my love, having been brought out of the straits of fear, walks abroad in continuance, into the expanse of liberty. The assurance of Christ's resurrection, which defeated death forever and secured resurrection for those who call on his name, that assurance leads us into the expanse of liberty, or what my college chaplain, Trigby Johnson, called the wide-open country of salvation. King David says the same thing in verse 8, "'You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet.'" In a spacious place. Psalm 31 implores us to commit our lives into God's hands, even when we're surrounded by enemies, even when we are drained of hope, even when sorrow and defeat seem inevitable. It implores us to commit our lives into God's trustworthy hands, even in the hour of our death, which is what Jesus did on the cross. How can it be that at his hour of deepest fear and entrapment, David declares, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. How can it be that we might say, I trust you, Lord, when terrible things happen all the time to people all over the world or to people in our families or to us? The Heidelberg Catechism offers some insight about what it means to place ourselves in the refuge of God's hands. Question and answer 27 say that God's providence is God's almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, so that all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And here is question 28. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Here's the answer. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. In verse 16, David asks God, Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. That word love in Hebrew is hesed, loving kindness, faithfulness. Covenantal love. When I attended the BAST Preaching Festival at Western Seminary a few years ago, I heard the keynote speaker, Dr. Frank A. Thomas, call hesed love that props up the universe. Though our eyes grow weak with sorrow, the psalm says, though our strength fails because of our afflictions, we have been promised love love that props up the universe. Love in whom all things hold together. Love whose face shines upon us. Love that hears our cry for mercy when we call to God for help. Love that raises the dead to life. Hear this clearly. If you are ever in peril, tangible or intangible, if you are ever in jeopardy, physical or unseen, know that your life is in God's hands. And no matter how dark the night or how near the enemies, Jesus is a trustworthy companion. God's presence will never depart from you and nothing, neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons will ever separate you from God's Hesed, that covenantal love that props up a teetering universe expressed fully in the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with a line from author and theologian Frederick Beekner: Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. In the name of the Father,